Well, one of the great temptations in life is to take shortcuts. Now, I'm all for faster. Faster is okay, but God does not want us to compromise in the Christian life to make things move along quicker. In other words, he doesn't need our help. Uh, it, our series that we are in, uh, Lord willing, next week will be the last week of it. It's called Venturing into the Unknown. And we've been watching what we might call a consummate shortcut man, uh, Abraham, uh, grow in his faith and trust in God and in God's timing. Uh, that came uh, you know, to a high point in Genesis chapter 22 when he was faced with the death of his son Isaac Twice he said to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide. So instead of him forcing the issue, he was ready for the Lord himself to provide. In other words, Abraham has moved from what we might call shortcut faith, or I can do it, to true faith and trust in God's plan and God's power. Now, God's plans and his, for our lives often involve something that we call divine providence. What, what, what's divine providence? They would be normal, everyday, or even unusual events that God uses in your life to accomplish his will. As we think about the promises of God, it, it's important to remember that, that trusting God includes for a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're glad, we're glad you're with us or we're glad you're watching online. But following Jesus includes entrusting ourselves to the divine providence of God. You know, some people will say, uh, everything happens for a reason. Well, here you go. Now you've got to say, really? Tell me about what that means to you and I'll tell you about what that means to me. And so there's how you engage people in conversations about Christianity. Listen to them first and then they will give you the opportunity to speak to them. Now, relying on God's timing and the way he does things is easier said than done because a lot of times it takes a lot of time. How many of you like to wait? Just curious. Not a taker on that one. And uh, we live in an instant, fast-paced society. And if something makes us wait, you know, in this get-it-now world, if you got to wait, some smart guy will develop an app so you don't have to wait. But as we've said many times before, anything really worthwhile is time-consuming. Going to take a long time. So, as we've seen, God promised to make a great nation out of Abraham. He promised to give him a lot of descendants. He promised to give him the promised land. He promised to give him a son through whom those descendants would come. And did that take a long time or a short time? A long time. A very, very long time. And finally, he got his son, Isaac. And so all these people would be born through Isaac. Now we have another problem. The problem was getting the son. Now the problem is he doesn't have a wife. So he doesn't have any kids of his own. Well, I'm going to just tell you this. Uh, Two weeks, it'll be 33 years. After 33 years of being a follower of Jesus, I am no longer surprised by God's detours. That doesn't mean I always like them but I'm no longer surprised by them. I'm no longer surprised by his road closures. I was going somewhere this week and I was was running late. And so I just said, well, you know what? I'm going to take the nicer way. I'll still make it on time and go through some nice, instead of taking the highway. Sure enough, I turn around the corner, road closed, you know, and I was late. So (laughs) I'm not not surprised by that kind of stuff uh, at all anymore. And, um, you know, I know it just comes, delays come with God's plans and God's purposes. So the title of our message today is Promises and Providence. And so we're going to be looking here at the connection in Genesis 24 uh, between how God's promises are fulfilled through his divine providence And also, not only are his plans and promises fulfilled, but they are used to develop uh, the faith and trust of his followers. 
And I think it's particularly important for all of us as we look at our nation today. A lot of people are wondering what is the future of our nation. Uh, a lot of people are wondering what is the future of the church in America. Uh, we already know what's kind of happened in Europe. It's really not uh, such a great situation. And so uh, we wonder about such things. We wonder about what's the future uh, of the faith of our children, the faith of our grandchildren for some of us. And um, I think in that sense, as we go back 4,000 years ago, we find the Word of God as relevant today as it was back then. So if you're taking notes, there's three things we just want to point out today. Uh, number one, God's promises call for our faithfulness. God's promises call for our faithfulness. They're not disassociated. It's not like you get a promise from God and you think, oh, I can just go do whatever I want. No, no, God wants us to be faithful. Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Well, we saw last week his wife of over 60 years had died. Uh, in the next chapter, we will learn, well, we're not going to cover that part, but uh, we may cover it, but I don't think we will. Genesis 25, we'll, we'll learn that it's about three years later now, and Isaac is about 40 years old, and he is unmarried. Now, let me be perfectly clear on this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being 40 years old and being single. Do we understand that? Some people think, oh, it's better to be married. Other people think it's not better to be married. You know, I, I was telling one lady one time a couple weeks ago that I've had headaches every day for about 40 years. And she said, yeah, I've been married about 30 years myself. I said, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> that's not what I meant. And so, and so I said, I, I, I got a great wife. And, and so, uh, you know, I, it, it's just, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being 40 years and unmarried unless, unless... <laughs> the future descendants of Israel are to come through you. Then there's something really wrong with it, and the birth of the Messiah is to come through you. Then we got to do something to fix this situation. Now, remember, Abraham lives in Canaan, the promised land, a land full of false gods, lots of pagan religion, and he's about 400 miles from his original home. And let's just be perfectly honest. If we want to take a shortcut, what would be the easy thing to do right now? To fix his son up with a Canaanite girl. That would be the easy thing to do. I mean, just think it would be, it would make such, the logic would be perfect. Isaac is going to inherit a lot of money. He doesn't have land though. we sure he's got the, the, you know, the little field and the grave where his mother's buried, but they don't have any, they don't have any land. And, and if he marries a girl, with a rich, powerful dad who has lots of land, that would help on the surface. It would seem to help God's people to get the promised land faster. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, sometimes called the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament, says this. For many of us, it was like the first Bible verse we ever memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That is staring, even though it comes after Abraham, that is staring Abraham right in the face right now. Verse 2, so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, so this was the guy who was in charge of everything, please put your hand under my thigh. Now that sounds bizarre to us. We might say, put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, repeat after me. So it's kind of the equivalent of, of doing that. And he says, and I will make you swear by the Lord, uh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not, you might want to circle that word not in your Bible, take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now remember, Abraham's family, if you were with us in the beginning, they're not really believers, but they're not like the Canaanites. So sort of like the best that's available, if you will. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Now, and then he says this. And this, is, of course, is in case, you know, he comes back and the lady, whoever this girl won't follow him, and maybe Abraham's dead by then. He says, must I take your son back to the land from which he came? 
But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. So that's a flat out no. You're not going to do it this way. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send, this, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. So if she doesn't come, you can't get anybody to come. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to be mad at you. You're still going to get your raise and your Christmas bonus. I know there's no Christmas then. You're still going to get your, your bonus. And, and so don't worry about that. And then he repeats what he says. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So these are Abraham's last recorded words. He is adamant. There is no talking him out of, out of this. You're going to go look for a wife in my homeland, but there are two conditions that you absolutely must follow. Number one, there will be no pagan Canaanite wife. And number two, you're not to let my son leave the promised land. Now, centuries later in Deuteronomy uh, 7, Moses will specifically forbid the people of God from intermarrying with the Canaanites. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, now the Apostle Paul wants people who are married to stay married. We got that? There's a few exceptions, but he wants you to stay married. But he says concerning widows... If you want to die, that doesn't mean you can kill your husband and remarry, okay? So just if you get any, if you get any ideas of that. Um, some of the husbands are looking at the wives like, did you hear that, babe? Did you hear that? Okay, so, so he says, if you're a widow and you want to remarry, you can, but only in the Lord. Only who's someone who shares your Christian faith. Well, why? Well, because unbelieving people often pull God's people away from him. And God is building a people, a countercultural people that are going to follow after him. Plus, you know, it, it makes sense. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, and loving and following Jesus is the single most important thing in your life, if you are not married and you're going to get married, then you would want to marry someone who shares that priority with you because if they don't, it's always going to be one of these things. It's going to be head-butting. Uh, for Isaac, marrying the wrong woman because of his position would have great consequences for him and the future of the people of God. Now, one of the things when I teach young people, I often tell them that the second most important decision you make in your life. Are you listening to me, young people? Listen, listen. Listen to an old man. The second most important decision you make in your life is who you marry. Who you marry. You say, what's the first? Well, you have to stay awake a little longer for that one. And, and so um, that, that might be hard. That might mean you have to wait longer. But faithfulness to the Lord often involves hard decisions like willing to wait for God to bring you his best. Now, this servant is unnamed. It could be Eliezer, who we met in chapter 15. He'd be pretty old for a journey of this type right now. Uh, some Bible scholars indicate that per periodically throughout the scriptures, you have what's known as the unnamed servant, which can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But clearly, this is a man of faith, uh, a man of great loyalty to Abraham, a, a true servant indeed, a man with a true servant's heart. So his boss was Abraham, but no doubt there appears to be a love between them. And here Abraham says this to him, if you really want to serve me now, I want you to serve my son. And you know, that's what God the Father says to all of us. He says, if you really want to serve me now here in this life, I want you to serve my sons and daughters. That's why we put a big emphasis here on, on volunteering to serve in the church, but it also prepares you to serve outside the walls of, of the church. You want to get involved in that? Ask the, ask the people in the hallway. And so 
He, he says, you know, I want you to serve my son. And, and look at the task that he gives him. It's absolutely impossible. I want you to take a 400-mile journey, and I want you to convince some girl who doesn't know you to come back here and marry my son. So this guy is kind of like, okay, that sounds good. You know, uh, what, if, what if she says, all right, I, I'm all for it. Tell him to come and meet me. Abraham says, no, he can't leave the promised land. God's plan is for him to stay here and for me to give it to him. And so it's okay if she says, no, don't, don't worry about it. So what's going on here? I think there's a, there's a hugely important principle for all of us to see here. Basically, what Abraham is saying is this. Don't focus on the results. The results are God's part. Just focus on being faithful. Focus on obeying the Lord. That's our part. Our part is to be faithful. And, and God's part is the results. You know, Pastor Chuck used to tell us, the founder of Calvary Chapel, do your best and commit the rest. And that's all you can really do. So what's Abraham saying? Indirectly, he's saying that God will fulfill his promises. If he doesn't do it this way, let's have faith knowing that he will do it another way. But we're not going to compromise. And in verse 7, really, it, it, sum, it summarizes his faith and trust. He says to the servant, be confident of this very thing. He will send his angel before you. And that's the confidence we have as followers of Jesus, no matter where we are or where we are going to know that God goes before us where we go. Our part is to what? Serve. Our part is to what? Open our mouth. God's part is what? The results. We are to be faithful. God is responsible for the results. Now that, to me, is such an important reminder in the midst of great difficulty and in the midst of an unforeseeable future. You see, the future for Abraham is still, he is still venturing into the unknown. He's going to die soon. What comes after that? His son, what's going to happen next to his son? He's still venturing into an unforeseeable future, but he knows this. He has finally learned this, that God is faithful and does not need our help. He's done perfectly well running everything without us. The world didn't need us to get here. Sorry to say it, the world's not going to need us when we're out of here. And God is faithful, and we are to be faithful too. And we are to remember in our faithfulness that God is with us and that God helps us and that God loves us. Well, number two, God's promises require God's providence. God's promises require God's providence. A lot of different things have to come together. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Now keep that number 10 in the back of your mind. And also remember that only rich people owned camels. And he's willing to say, here, take 10 of them. And departed for all his, ma with all, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So that's about a 400-mile, one-month trip, and it gets half a verse. A half a verse, that's it. And he went there. Why? Because the word of God focuses on the God of the word and the work of God. That's why you see in the, in the crucifixion accounts, and they crucified him. You're like, that's it? You know, you know my pastor did a 19-part series on the horrors of crucifixion. You don't, you don't really get that in the Bible. Because that's not really the important part. What was accomplished in the crucifixion, that's what is, in the, that's what is so important. And if you don't believe me, that half verse is the trip. And the next 51 verses, 51, apply to one evening and one morning. <laughs> because it's what God is doing, God's work. And so verse 11, he arrives. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, and he, and he, and he prays, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, 
please give me success this day and showed kindness. That's that Jewish word hesed or hesed. Uh, that's usually trans, uh, translated kindness, loving kindness, a variety of different ways. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Not to me, to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be. And, he, and basically he's saying, Lord, this is how I'm going to know. Sometimes we call it throwing out a fleece. Lord, this is how I know I have met the right girl. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you. He says, by this, I'm going to know it's your divine providence. This I will know that you have shown kindness, has said, to my master. So the servant is a man of prayer. And he prays for a sign. But notice the sign is not to strengthen his faith, although it will. But it's a, he prays for a sign that it's God's will. There's something here that's so obvious in the Bible, it's absolutely so easy to overlook, is that in the Bible, and this is, should be a great encouragement to every single one of us, it is to me for sure, that, that minor characters often play major roles in redemptive history. I mean, this guy, we don't even get his name. We don't even get his name. And he is playing such a major role in God's plan. Do you see that, friend? Do you see the possibilities of, of God using your life as insignificant as you might feel in his great plans? You know, this past week or the week before, a protege of Billy Graham, often called the Spanish Billy Graham, Luis Palau, went home to be with the Lord. You know, I often say regarding our children's ministry that the next Billy Graham, the next Luis Palau, might be in our children's ministry. And you might be his teacher. And you might be able to say, oh, I, I remember when. You, you thought you meant no difference in that kid's life. In fact, you couldn't stand the kid. He was always running around full of energy, talking, talking, talking. You're like, uh, I don't know, there's something about that kid. I don't know whether it's good or it's bad. Sometimes it's a fine line with God's people. <laughs> so God uses minor characters to play major roles. Loved ones, don't forget that the Lord delights in using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. So everybody would look around and go, that has to be the Lord. That has to be. It couldn't be anything else. God does not need the best and the brightest. He's looking for the available who are willing to let God use their life in whatever capacity he puts them in. You see, we can, we can gloss over this, but what is the servant looking for? The man who is this incredible servant is looking for a woman who is a servant. He said, Lord, this is how I know that it's the right girl because I'm going to ask her for a drink. I'm going to ask her just for a drink for me, my guys, and she's going to say, not only will I get you a drink, but I will get drink for all of your camels as well. Now, scholars tell us that camels can drink up to about 25 gallons. And he has 10 camels. That's 250 gallons. Now, those jugs usually held about three gallons. So let's figure about 25 pounds. How, how, like, how do you know that, Pastor Jim? I spent uh, about 15 years throwing five-gallon cans of oil and automatic transmission fluid in my business. That's why my shoulders are shot. I thought it was from pitching in high school until my, le my uh, left arm went out too, and then I realized that's what it was from. And, and so that's a lot, okay? So that's over 80 trips. 
It's over 80 jugs of water, not including what she would get for the other guys. It could be as many as 100. So basically, he's looking for Wonder Woman. But see, God uses people who are generous. God uses people who are hospitable. God uses people who are not all about themselves. God uses people who have character. God uses people who are not allergic to hard work. God uses people who are willing to go the extra mile. Verse 15, now it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to, some people say, pronounce his name Bethuel, some Bethuel, I'll probably announce it different ways each time. Uh, son of Milcah, the son of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Oh, wow. One of Abraham's family's coming that way. That's what he's supposed to be looking for. He came out, with her, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. Uh, no man had known her. Now let's just stop right there for a second. I, you know, when we come across these passages, I know that's, a very, that's something that very few people can say today. Especially those of you who have you know, take, maybe had a time in your life when you fell away from the Lord or you, you came to the Lord later in life. But understand this. From you, God is looking for a commitment to a future of purity. Can't change the past, but we can make um, you know, great, meaningful decisions in, in our future. And there's great beauty in that. There truly is. And that's certainly how God sees it. When God sees you to commit your body to him, it's beautiful to him. It's masculine to him. It's feminine to him. It's beauty to him. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came to him. Verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her and said, well, here we go. You ready? You ready? You don't look ready. Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink my Lord. Now you're like, what is this with this Lord stuff here? That's just being respectful. She's just being respectful. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. You gotta, he's got to be sitting there like going, this might be the one. Then she, but remember, he doesn't know what her family is yet. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw the water and drew for his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent. Why, is he, why does he remain silent? This is why. So as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. That is the question. Not prosperous in terms of money, prosperous in terms of the Lord's will. Now, Rebecca's servant heart is admirable. Now, most people, at least Americans, I think, would avoid such service. Like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll give you water and then that'll give you refreshment so you can, feed, you can get water to help yourself to feed your camels. Or a lot of people, what happens when it gets to be, well, this is more, it's not what I expected. What do we do? We quit. Sorry, got to go. Quit in time. Oh, sorry, just got a couple texts. You know, you tell your friends, text me at 5 o'clock. You know, it's like it's what people do when they go on a bad date. You know, text me to, to, to make sure if I got to get out of this thing or, or I'm tired. Well, what does she do? She hurries to help and to serve. Now, it's quite possible she's a teenager in her 20s, culturally acceptable for a man in her, who's 40 to marry someone that young. And in a lot of cultures across the world, that is culturally acceptable. Um, but what I want us to notice about her is her work ethic. And parents, build that into your kids. It will be a huge battle. You're not, your kids aren't going to be like, you're going to be like, hey, bring the garbage can in. Oh, praise the Lord, Dad. Thanks for reminding me. It's not going to go down like that. It is going to be a battle. Now, their spouse will call you blessed. That I can tell you. Their boss will call you blessed. But it's very, very important. 
build a work ethic into your kids. It takes longer to do that than to do it yourself. So allocate extra time. And don't find, you'll, you'll hear yourself going, I could have done this faster myself. Don't say that. You are a man or a woman on a mission. You are building future workers of America. Like I told the story to you before, my kids used to say to me all the time, everybody else in our neighborhood has landscapers. Why don't we? I'd say, we do. <laughs> we have RJT landscapers, LLC. <laughs> Ryan, Jessica, Tim. And then it went to Jessica and Tim landscapers. And then it went to Tim landscapers. And then Tim went to college. And I hired another guy to be my landscaper. Because <laughs> I, 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 I did not, all through high school, I cut all the lands in my neighborhood. I was done. Verse 22. So it was when the, when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel. Now some of you kids are going to go home and go, oh, mom, I can get a nose ring. It's in the Bible. Well, fight that battle yourself, parents. Uh, and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. Now, verse 47 will tell us that at some point he gave them to her and put them on her, and said, whose daughter are you? Here's the big question. You must be like, oh, gosh, please, Lord. Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel. That's Abraham's nephew. Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. So she's from Abraham's family. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord, and he said, and now he's talking to God, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy, his, some of your verses say steadfast love, his hesed, and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the servant is overwhelmed by the goodness of God and by the providence of God. Now, it's an interesting thing. The providence of God, it, what does it do to the natural man? Puffs them up. Oh, yeah, I got this thing. I got that. I got this. I did this. I did that. But, but the man of God or the woman of God is humbled by the providence of God absolutely humbled. God had me in the right place at the right time. You know, some of you know this, some of you don't. I get to experience a reminder of that every single day of my life. Pam and I um, started dating 32 years ago on a young adult retreat. We went to church in New York City and we came out to what we thought was the sticks. We came out over an hour away from New York City to a retreat center, and we started dating on that, at that retreat center. And as God would have it, last August, we moved, and that retreat center is now our next-door neighbor. <laughs> so every time I pull into my driveway, I am, re I am reminded of God's wonderful, gracious providence in my life. And Pam is reminded that God punishes the evil people. <laughs> Not really. But I am reminded of God's goodness when I see that place. But her family still has to approve of her marrying this stranger. Verse 28 so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now, she didn't take any, every, the whole, everybody with him. She went by herself. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. How many of you know who Laban is? Right now you're going, ugh. All right, well, don't let what we know about Laban spoil the story. And Laban ran out uh, to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he had heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. Now, <laughs> we know Labram is a greedy scoundrel. He smells the money. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. 
Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. You might want to leave a few with me. No, it doesn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, this is the servant speaking, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. I love his sense of urgency about the Lord's mission. And he said, Laban said, speak on, man. You don't want to eat yet? Fine. Tell us. Verse 34 through 49, in his excitement, and in order to convince the family of the Lord's work, he recaps the story with a few strategic um, uh, changes in what might be seen as a strategic omission. Verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. So in other words, uh, the guy that she could possibly marry, he's rich. That means, Mr. Laban, that you will get a handsome bride price, or what we know as a dowry. Verse 37, now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife uh, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. Perhaps he knows about the Canaanites. Perhaps he doesn't. Probably does. But you shall go to my father's house. Now that's added in. He just said my family's house, but my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. Now notice he uses wisdom. He doesn't say, he doesn't, doesn't introduce, oh, by the way, he's not allowed to leave the promised land. But he said to me, verse 40, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you. Abraham said to, to the servant, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, for my, from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they do not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. So what is he saying? Hey, listen, that's the deal. We are men, Abraham, my master, and our people. We are people who trust the plans and the providence of God. And if it doesn't work for you with Rebecca, it's okay. I'll keep moving. Continues, verse 42. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And then we see verse 48. He describes his awe. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Verse 49. Now if you will deal kindly, has said, And truly with my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Hey, if you're not going to go with this, don't don't play around with me. I got to keep going. I got to keep moving. You see, he is willing, he's not willing to do something that a lot of us do. A lot of us waste our time with the wrong people. We waste a lot of time with the wrong people. He says, nope, I got to go. If you're not the right people, I got to go find the right people. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, 
The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good, bad, or good. He's like, we know this is of the Lord. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Now remember, they're not really believers, but they're just sort of blown away by this whole thing. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Once again, he's overwhelmed by God's providence. Then the servant brought out jewelry of, of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. He's generous, just like Abraham, just like the Lord. I love this guy, man. I love what he does. He is not pushy. He is when he says to, hey, listen, I, I got to know what you're, where your thinking is. He's, he's, that, nothing wrong with asking people what they're thinking, but, he, but he's not pushy. He just tells the story of the providential work of God. And then he looks at them and goes, so what do you think? You know, it's that simple, friend. You get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. We have those cards. You can just ask us for some. We'll leave some for you at the, at the uh, connection table. We normally make them available. The gospel in 60 seconds. You can just see, memorize that or just take it out of your wallet and read it and give it to the person to keep it or something like that. And, and just ask them and just say, well, what do you think? What do you think? What's he doing? He is trusting that as he just tells the story that the Lord will work out his purposes in the hearts of people. So what's he doing? He's being faithful and he's leaving the results up to God. Sometimes we try and force people, force people. It's becoming less and less common. Those of us who've been Christians a long time remember just like, pray this stupid prayer, would you? you know? <laughs> and people would be like, let's pray. And they're bow, all bowed down. And the person who's praying the prayer is just like, help, 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 looking at you. Please rescue me. Another important point here, I think, is for those of you that are considering marriage, it's important what others around you who love you think. It's very, very important. It's important what your close friends and family think. It's important to let your godly, following Jesus friends get to know that person so they can really kindly and lovingly, just you got to tell them, you got to give them permission. You got to say, I really want to know what you think. Don't, don't hedge it. Don't hold back because people are like, he's nice. Right? That's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're looking for. If you have spiritual mentors, and it's a good idea to have them, it's a good idea to ask them, tell me what you think. Let them meet that person. And you know what? I think it's best to do it all before you're engaged. Because a lot of people, once they're engaged, are too afraid to back out. I remember when I finally brought Pam home to meet my mom and my dad. Now, my dad pulls me aside and goes, she's a looker. <laughs> but my dad loved you, didn't he, baby? And he really loved you. He used to always put his arm around me and he used to say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I know not many of you have had a dad like that. That's why I'm so daring and so afra not afraid to fail. I'm afraid not to try. And then he would say, God gave you a beautiful wife and a beautiful family. I'd say, thanks, Daddy. He'd say, don't screw it up, son. <laughs> but, but my mom, and I, I'm going to say this. I don't talk about this kind of stuff much. I dated some very, very nice young women. Really, really. Who, a lot of the girls that I dated, their husbands got real gems to, to marry them. And I'm, I'm being totally serious. But my mom, the first time she met Pam, she said, that's the girl for you. And I'm like, how do you know? And she said, you can just tell. She said, I just love her. And she said, and when you and she enters the room, you just are a different person. And you need to be a different person. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important what others think. She would say, you light up when that girl walks in the room. Verse 54 
And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. So they're celebrating the work of the Lord. That's what we do when we sing at church. That's what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what we do when we go out into the hallway or soon it's going to be warm. We'll go out into the parking lot and it's maybe even that warm today, right? And we, and we love on one another. We pray for one another. We do that when we gather together just as a, as a church family, right? We celebrate. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, send me away. And he said, send me away to my master. He's like, we're ready to go. One night. 400 trip, 400 miles there. You think they would be like, man, some R&R, baby. No way. No way. We're ready to go home. But her brother and mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10, after she may go. This reminds us of the Gospels, all the people with all the excuses of why they can't follow Jesus today. Remember this, loved ones. The kingdom of God is going to move forward without you. The kingdom of God is going to move forward without me. The apostles are gone. The thing is on a roll. Dare I say, I've said it before, even Jesus is gone. The word of God and the Holy Spirit are going to keep Christianity steamrolling, whether we're part of it or not, whether the United States wants to be part of it or not. It's going to keep happening. So watch the excuses, really. And just, oh, this is what you got to say to God. God, would you please bring to my heart whenever I'm making excuses? Oh, very faithful in that one. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. In other words, the Lord has made it successful. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, will you call the young woman and ask her personally? Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Just like Abraham when he was called to the promised land. So they sent away Rebekah, her sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate, the, of, hate them. Very similar to the blessing that the Lord gave Abraham when he was willing to offer up Isaac. The Lord himself is putting his words in their mouth to encourage Rebekah. Then Rebekah and her, her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. So seeing the hand of God on the whole situation, Rebekah ventures into the unknown, takes a step of faith, and follows the Lord. She had not heard the Lord speak so much in words as she had seen and heard him speak in divine providence. And then, when the man recapped the story to everybody else, they knew it was the Lord. Knowing little about this Lord, she is willing to take a journey, willing to seek a new life for herself. And that can be you, my unbelieving friend. If you want a new life in Christ, it is available to you today. Maybe she saw the devotion of these men that came down there. Maybe she saw the urgency that he doesn't even want to rest, that the Lord's work is that worthwhile, that, it, that, there's no, that there's no reason to delay, to get involved in taking the next step, whatever that next step is for you. Number three, God's promises bring God's blessing. God's promises bring God's blessing. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Leroy, Lahoy Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field that evening. Now, sadly, in the age of distraction, meditating on the word of the Lord is becoming a lost art. It is something I could not recommend to you more fully. It's really a wonderful thing. In fact, one of the verses that we're going to name tonight, I, I meditated a lot on yesterday. I'm not going to give you my whole meditation yesterday, but I spent just about 45 minutes with just this one verse, just really thinking it through, really thinking it through. 
And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Verse 64, then Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Now that would be a custom when you're meeting the groom in an arranged marriage. And the servant told Isaac all the things that she had done, right, all the things that he had done. So Isaac agrees, wow, the Lord's in this thing. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, her old tent, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death and the promises of God for Israel are going to move on. Now, it would have been a disaster had Isaac married a Canaanite woman. Israel may have never come about in the way the Lord wanted it, wanted it to. And here we see God's promises and God's prom providence working together, but not only for God's plan, but also it accomplishes more than his plan. It also ministers to his people. No doubt Isaac and his mother Sarah were close, so God uses divine providence to comfort Isaac as well, who after three years is still missing his mother. See, what, what happened was God put new love in his heart. And for a lot of people who come to Jesus, that's really what you need. You need his love put into your heart to, to save, your, save you from your sins, but to give you a totally new perspective on life. Isaac came to learn that God is faithful. Isaac came to learn that his heavenly father can be trusted even when you're depressed and sad. Even, even when he seems to act in strange ways and nothing stranger than the cross of Jesus Christ. I said earlier that I tell young people the second most important decision in your life is who you marry you might want to know what's the first. The most important decision in your life, whether you're here watching online, you're somewhere else in the building, the most important decision in your life is will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And will you spend eternity in heaven with God and with the family of God? Many people in our church tell me they, that they became followers of Jesus here. Or they came back to following Jesus here in our church. And that is all tied to God's providence. And if you look back on it and think about it, you will see how he worked these things in your life. I'm going to tell you a story that I, I had to go back into my computer and I told this story 12 years ago. So some of you were here 12 years ago. Some of you weren't. Most of you probably weren't. So maybe it's worth telling you. The rest of you probably don't remember it. But if you were not here, I hope that you find it helpful. When I was a high school senior, I was anything but a follower of Jesus. In fact, I wouldn't become a follower of Jesus for another 10 years. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. My dad just wanted me to get out of college with a job. And so he read an article that about environmental science uh, was a major that was, had a promising future. And you could study that at Rutgers at Cook College. So I was like, okay, dad, whatever you say. So I went there and I absolutely hated the major. Absolutely hate it. Not that I'm against environmental science, not the way I'm wired. But again, I wasn't a Christian. I liked partying and I liked partying at the school. So I stayed and I changed my major. During those years at Rutgers, there was a housing crisis, there was a housing crunch. And we had a roommate had to be assigned to us. We lived in an apartment with four of us and they gave us a fifth guy. We used to call him number five for a while because he didn't show up for like two weeks. So, and his name was Dennis. And Dennis and I became very good friends, but Dennis had a friend who lived off campus. His name was Mike. 
A few years after college, I started a business. I caught the entrepreneurial bug. I either wanted to be a child and adolescent psychologist or psychiatrist, or I wanted to start my own business. I just had the entrepreneurial bug so bad, I had the opportunity to start a company, so I did it. And it turns out that Mike, who was assigned, who, whose friend was assigned to live with me because of a housing crisis, he, uh, he became one, his company became one of my clients. Well, one of his co-workers was a, was a pretty young girl who I met, and we went out a couple times, and she invited me to her church. And it was at her church that I met Jesus Christ. Or should I say Jesus Christ met me? Well, we broke up at that same church in a young adults gathering. I met Pam. I married Pam. We had three kids. Jessica, our middle child, when we moved out to the suburbs from Hoboken, went to a preschool called the Early Learning Center at the Baptist church that we were attending. And by, what I could do is I worked at home in the morning for a few hours, and then I drove Jessica, dropped her off, and then I was able to listen to a radio show called Bridging the Gap on my way to my, my office featuring Pastor Lloyd Pulley, who's on our radio station and who is my pastor. So eventually, we visited Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, and we started attending there. Uh, I met Pastor Lloyd. It was unusual one time. He taps me on the back, and, and I said, hello. And he goes, well, how come you never talked to me? And I said, I don't know. I guess all these people here, I guess you need other people. He goes, do you ever think I want to meet people who come in, roll up their sleeves, get to work, and, are, and really, you know, everybody's telling me that the Lord's hand is on you, and do you ever think I might want to talk to you? And I was like, actually, it never dawned on me for a second. So after a number of years there, uh, they asked me, two of the pastors asked me uh, that I, with his blessing to invite me to come on the staff of the church. And I said, now I got a business, I got a business. Then I had this opportunity to um, maybe sell my company. I had a number of offers for, I had three business divisions and two of them I had offers for. And it was the funniest thing was um, what, what happened, we were at a pastor's conference and I got the call that the big division, I had a buyer. And it was a very lucrative offer. And it was one I was like, because uh, I knew I either had to expand the business or I had to, you know, do whatever, do something different. And then I go inside and, and Pastor Lloyd's like, hey, let's sit, you and me, just the two of us, let's have dinner together. So he says, I want you to come on staff of the church. And I'm like, you're kidding me, God. Like, I'm talking to him and I'm going, interesting, interesting. Inside I'm going, you're kidding me, God. You're kidding me, because I had felt this call and, and had all these pastors were telling me that they saw it in me. And then after I was on staff there for a while, he challenged me to start a Bible study, which we started in Parsippany. And then we ended up here at this facility. And now I am the founding pastor of this church. What if when I was a senior, I knew what I wanted to do with my life? I'm from Long Island. We don't go to Rutgers. What if my father had never read that article? What if I went there and I loved the major? I'd be an environmental scientist right now. Could you picture me as one? <laughs> I did tell you that I liked partying, and I still do. Not, not that I like... Um, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in over 20 years. I haven't been drunk since I've been a Christian. But I don't mind being at a party with people who are drunk. Like those Matthew party kind of things we studied about, Matthew's Gospels. Like, I like those things. I'm like, you don't drink? I'm like, no, come on, have a beer. I don't drink. Why? You don't drink? No, why don't you drink? Let me tell you why. <laughs> and then at the end, so what do you think? And they're like, <laughs> What if there was never a housing crisis at my church, at my, at my college, and I never met Dennis, who introduced me to Mike? What if I never started my own company? What if Mike's company never became a client? What if that girl never worked there and invited me to church? 
What if I never married Pam? Two things I can never imagine. Three things. Never meeting Christ, never having Pam, and never having my kids. What if we picked a different preschool for Jessica? And I didn't get to listen to Pastor Lloyd every day or almost every day on the way into work. What if we never visited Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge? It was almost like God planned it. <laughs> I put all those things together. I won't even talk about a group of people that were having a prayer meeting on my block in front of my house when I was in high school that I would become a Christian. I won't even, I won't even go there because I'll be in worse shape than I am right now. It was almost like he planned it all. Think about it. How did I get here? How did you get here? It's almost like God knew and he had a plan. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, it, it involved God's providence. If you're not, how do you think you got here today? If you're watching online, how do you think it is that you're watching me talk about this right now online? It's almost like God planned it, isn't it? You better believe he did. It's divine providence. It's because God the Father wants you to become his child, so much so that he sent Jesus for you to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for your sins in your place, to rise from the dead so you could put your trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. John 1.12, John writes, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right, it is a right, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, not by being a good person, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A miraculous spiritual birth. John 6.37. I spent 45 minutes with it yesterday morning. I will not do that to you now. All. Not some. All. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus said, you can't, I will not cast you out. You could go to Jesus and go, I'm coming to you right now. You know what I've done, but you can't cast me out because you said you can't. He will not cast you out. He will not cast you aside. Your part is to turn to him and put your trust in him instead of yourself. A few verses down from there, Jesus says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, think of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins on the cross, and believes in him, trusts in him, may have everlasting life. That's how you go to heaven, and I will raise him up at the last day he has promised to raise you from the dead. Today, some of you need to see that before God's promises are fulfilled to you, that a number of providences, a number of divine providences, some of them very little things, need to happen first. Maybe, even, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you have fallen away from Jesus, maybe even, God had to allow you to live a godless, faithless life. A life full of shortcuts that kept bringing you down dead-end streets. Or maybe was bringing you down a great street and all of a sudden, you crashed. And God allowed that to happen. And you're sitting here today and you're like, it's almost like he planned it. But then one day, 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, why don't you make it today? You realize that God has been there silently all along using everything in your life and now is calling you to come to him or now is calling you to come back to him to trust Jesus with everything to trust him with your life with your soul with your worries and with your fears your life here and for all eternity come to Jesus and he will make your earthly life prosperous. That doesn't mean money. It may. But that means that God's will will be accomplished in your life and you will be prosperous in that you know the Lord, that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus is your Savior and you are a child of God. So today, Jesus calls you to just trust him. And now the part is, the ball's in your court. Will you come? Well, let's pray. Well, Lord,